15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. It is the Mass and All Access podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano, Bobby Blanco here with you as always. Bobby, you have uh, the the Nats gear in the background. You have the Nats t-shirt on. You are ready to relive a magical moment in the Nats 2019 postseason. Back on the road for game five, back to Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. Got my road grays on. Um, obviously, spoiler alert with the towel behind me, but that's okay. Everyone kind of figured it out uh, uh, by now. Uh, but yeah, game five, man. Uh, this was probably the game I was most looking forward to, maybe other than the wild card game, to rewatching. Because mm-hmm. I think we've talked about it too. Like, I'm looking forward. Obviously, the NLCS games are awesome, but the Nats pretty much crushed the Cardinals. They, they sweep in four games. Those games will be fun just because I haven't even gone back to watch highlights of that series just yet. Even like I've focused way more when I think about the Nats postseason run on the wildcard game, the Dodgers series, and obviously the World Series. So NLC and then obviously the World Series will be fun when we get to that in a couple of weeks. But game five NLDS is probably the first, maybe second game I think of when I think of the magical postseason run, because without this historic comeback, without this magical moment, like you said, Paul, there is no World Series run. There is no sweep of the Cardinals. The the Nats needed this win in a bad way, not just to continue their chase of a championship last year, but to get that dreaded NLDS monkey off their back first, fi- finally, you know, and, and get it, we get it off and um, advance to the second round for the first time in club history. Uh, so I, I was pumped to rewatch this game, and um, I'm excited to get started. Yeah, I mean the. NLCS games were great, and this those first two games were great because they were really special pitching performances. But let's be honest, pitching duels can be kind of boring at times just because of the, uh, you know, when you're re-watching them, a little bit more boring because you know the outcome, whereas during the thing, you're actually more excited because it's you don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, that's, that's the nature of rebroadcasts in general. All right. Great, most exciting, incredible game. Game five of the NLCS, I have pages and pages worth of notes because this game was absolutely uh, packed to the brim with uh, great moments uh, in terms of the game itself. A little bit of context coming into the game. So the they were ga- going into a game five in Dodger Stadium, Nationals and Dodgers. The earlier game that day was, of course, Cardinals and Braves, and the Cardinals put up a 10 spot in the first inning of that game, ended up winning 13 to 1. So we all know that the next opponent for whichever team wins this game is going to be the Cardinals. Um, it's Straz versus Bueller. Bueller comes in with a 16 uh, and two thirds consecutive scoreless innings. Um, and uh, Straz, of course, comes in with having just helped the Nats out a few games ago in game two. And having, yes, game two? Yes. Yeah, he started game two in LA. Yeah. And, uh, of course, having a, an incredible postseason record to his name. So, Bueller versus Straz, we know it's going to be a great game coming into this one. Yeah, and uh, this is the matchup, I think. It was teased a lot when the Nats pulled away late in game four on the, on the TBS broadcast that 
they were looking forward already to a rematch. Well, not a rematch because uh, Walker Bueller went up against Patrick Corbin in game one. But uh, uh, a matchup of Walker Bueller versus Steven Strasburg, the, arguably the two best pitchers in that postseason to that date. Um, of course, Bueller made the Nats look silly in game one, scoreless in, uh, you know, shut up performance. And then Strauss came back the next night and did the same thing to the Dodgers we talked about a couple of weeks ago in game two. So this was the marquee matchup. You know, Max had already gave the Nationals everything he could in game four to get to this point. Uh, over 110 pitches, I believe it was from last week. Uh, and so they needed to get the ball to Strasburg for a game five. And at this point, it was, you know, we talked. It was also funny to think back on it, you know, just a week prior because game five f- fell on a Wednesday and the wild game was the prior Tuesday. So just a little over a week ago, we were in a debate of who should start the wild card game between Strasburg and Max Scherzer. And now it's like, you know what? A week later, game five of the National League Division Series on the road against the Dodgers. I think we were all glad it was Strasburg and, and Max was the one pitching at home uh, on game four to get the Nationals to game five. And Strasburg takes the mound and Man, these two guys put on a, a performance. Strasburg struggled out, out of the gate early in the first inning, but kind of settles into the game, and, and him and Bueller go toe-to-toe in this in this great matchup. So in that first inning, Nats go quietly. Bottom of the first. Remember, there is no Gavin Lux in this game. Kike Hernandez is in left field, and he will play a huge pivotal role at several points along the course of this game. Jock Peterson hits a double that looks like a homer initially. It got stuck in the fence. I totally forgot about this. It got stuck in the weird padding entrance to the bullpen. He trots around the bases before eventually having to go back to second base. But then Max Muncy just rips one deep into the L.A. night. A two-run homer. I forgot. I mean, Max Muncy had a great, great series. It felt like even when he wasn't hitting a homer, he was coming darn close to it. Um, and... You know, we had seen Max Scherzer struggle. We had seen Patrick Corbin struggle, but we had not seen Steven Strasburg struggle yet in the postseason. And already right off the bat in that first inning, Strauss is in the, the most trouble he's ever had in any postseason game ever, maybe. Yeah, and it was also announcer's curse to the Max because Ernie Johnson, I think, begins a t- that frame of, of the game saying that Steven Strasburg has never allowed a postseason home run then the ground rule double, and then Muncie a two-run bomb uh, pretty much the next at-bat. So there, there goes that streak for Strasburg. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we've never seen him. I, even I can't hard, really think of a time last season. We talk about all the time how 2019 was Steve, maybe Steven Strasburg's best year of his career. Definitely in terms of numbers, you know, it's right up there, but also just the consistency. You know, he he, he made all his starts. It was never really hurt that much. Um I think he led the Nationals in innings pitched uh, from a starter standpoint. So he was the model of consistency throughout the season. And it was odd to see him get kind of beat around in the first inning. And, you know, you know me, Paul, I'm a very pessimistic postseason baseball watcher or postseason watcher in general. And I just kind of like, here we go again. Well, I can't believe we just flew all the way across the country to watch the Nationals get pounded in game five. Just like because also, like you said, at the top of the show, we had just watched uh the Cardinals do the same thing to the Braves, throw up 10 runs in the first inning. So I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, okay, well, the Dodgers are going to score 12 in the first inning now, and this is over. We flew all the way across the country for nothing, uh, and it's going to be a lonely flight all the way back to D.C. 
and it, obviously that is not the case, but it was not a great start for Strasburg or the Nationals right out of the gate because they also made it really easy at the top of the inning for Walker Bueller. And it looked like Stras might be tagged for even more runs in that bottom of the first because um, Justin Turner walks before Cody Bellinger strikes out with a chance to do more damage. Then Matt Beatty hits a single on the first pitch, so they've got runners on first and second. But they get a, a double play to end the ending um, in which the, a liner, basically, Straz almost gets his glove on it. That might have hurt the play, but uh, Trey Turner picks it up, tags the runner running between second and third, and throws to first to get out of uh, the first inning. Damage avoided uh, for the most part because that could have been a huge blow-up inning, like you said, Bobby. That could have been a 10-run in. You know, you, obviously, it wasn't going to get to that point, but that could have been a much, much bigger inning at that point. All right, second inning. Nats still not looking great. Uh, Soto hits a ball to left field, and we already get a Kike Hernandez play here because he turns the wrong way on the ball and ends up making a great adjustment and making a diving catch that looked great, but only because he made the wrong read. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, and that's that was kind of like a a small glimmer of hope. Like, all right. Juan Soto sees the ball well tonight, and it's caught. Even though he made a wrong play, it still found its way into Hernandez's glove, which is, and then, you know, you go the rest of the inning, how he strikes out really quickly. It was like three or four pitches. Zim gets a single, but Suzuki then grounds out, and the inning's over, and it just feels like, all right, well, you know, even when the Dodgers make mistakes, things are going their way. You know, Kiki Hernandez, like you said, completely misreads that ball on, on the Juan Soto fly to start the inning, but still manages to make the catch. You know, great adjustment, Kudos to him, but it just was like, man, even when they make mistakes, the ball finds them, and and it's just not going to be their night. And, you know, sure, Zim gets a single. That's great. Get a hit off off Bueller, but, you know, no one else is doing damage or seeing the ball right. And, you know, we're, I think to this point, too, Howie had an up and down series. You know, we'll obviously get to the Grand Slam later in the mostly game, but, down. you know, <laughs> seeing, seeing him mostly down, yeah, and seeing him strike out really quickly was like, dang it, like, you know, who, who on this roster on this lineup is going to hit tonight um, if, if they're going to be making catches like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, how he already had a couple misplays at first and second base. He had in game three a base running blunder that uh, the Nationals could have come back in that game potentially. He had so many tough moments um, in the season up until this point, and it was not looking good for his story at this point. Um, Kike Hernandez would reappear in the bottom of the second inning with a Deep solo shot to straightaway center. 3 nothing Dodgers. It was a 94-mile-an-hour fastball dead center. Just not not enough movement to, to fool a guy like that. And Dave Roberts all of a sudden looks like a genius for inserting Kike Hernandez into the game. And but it's just crazy the amount of storylines that will flip on their heads by the end of this game because by the end of this game, the fans will be booing Dave, <laughs> Dave Roberts. Uh, when he makes a pitching change. And then uh, Max Muncie comes up in the bottom, uh, later on in that bottom of the second, and almost hits another home run. Um, another ball that uh, hashtag dejuiced balls for the playoffs that could have been gone maybe during the regular season, but was caught at the track. And the, the Nats still, again, lucky to come out of that inning down 3 nothing. Yeah, and like I you mentioned, the Dave Roberts decision to start Kiki Hernandez obviously played a huge factor in this game. And that's a storyline that I personally forgot about that. He hadn't started any of these games up until game five. And then Roberts throws him in the lineup and he makes a great play in left field. And then he homers in the second inning. 
And it's just like, oh, geez, Robert Sizzig, all the right buttons. Nothing's going the Nats way. It's nothing that Davey Martinez could do. He uh, he hit all the right buttons as well. It just wasn't going to go their way. And then, yeah, because now looking back on it, I always think of, you know, Dave Roberts. I would put a lot of blame on him. I mean, you're the manager. You get a lot of the blame when things go wrong and none of the credit when things go right. Um, I, I think people forget that he made the right move in putting Kiki Hernandez in this lineup from the get-go. But it's his later decisions in this game that cost the Dodgers their season. Yep. Top of the third, Steven Strasburg walks. Um, that at least helps Walker Bueller's pitch count go up a bit, but the Nats aren't able to take advantage. Um, and they end up going quietly in that top of the third. So we enter the bottom of the third. Dodgers still up 3 nothing, And Howie Kendrick botches another ball at second base. Bellinger gets on because of it um, and is able to steal second. And I think it was at this point that Jamal Collier, then of MLB.com, tweeted the infamous tweet of uh, Howie Kendrick is having a very forgettable NLDS. Because at yeah. this point, that storyline um, was <laughs> very different than it would be eventually. Um, but then a huge strikeout of um, Seeger with Bellinger at third by Steven Strasburg to um, keep the Dodgers scoreless in the bottom half of the third inning. I feel like... Seeger struck out a ton of times in big spots over the course of the series, honestly, in rewatching these games. Yeah, yeah, he struggled too. And, and I'm always going to harp on as well as Cody Bellinger struggles. He, he only gets four hits in the whole series. And I don't, I think he might score one run. I think he scores one of the runs in the Dodgers' big inning back in game three. Uh, but yeah, they're two superstar guys. Didn't really show up, didn't do too much. You know, this was the time, you know, it, it's the playoffs. It doesn't matter who you're facing. Look at the Braves. I mean, sorry, the Cardinals, for instance. You have a chance to step on your opponent's throat early in the game. You have to do it. Uh, and the Dodgers weren't able to do it. And their big stars contributed to that. You know, Bellinger struck out in his first at-bat. Like you mentioned, Seager struggling and striking out in big spots. They're getting guys on against Steven Strasburg, who we just talked about, has the guy that the Nationals wanted on the bump. And they're not cashing him in. Yeah, three-run lead is night is nice. But obviously we know it wasn't good enough. And it's crazy going back and rewatching this game and thinking about, man, the Dodgers had so many chances to put this game away. If they would have scored just one yep. or two more runs in these early innings, this game is probably over. Yep. And then top of the fourth, uh, something that goes the Dodgers way. Uh, Soto gets on second after Kike and Seager. They miscommunicate and drop a ball. So that went the Nats way. But then Howie Kendrick hits a deep, deep fly ball to center field. Cody Bellinger makes a great leaping catch running into the wall um, to take away what would have been at least a double. Nats would have gotten on the board, but instead they get out. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman strikes out looking, um, and no more runs for the Nats. We head to the bottom of the fourth, uh, still in a 3 nothing game, and then Steven Strasburg uh, retires the side 1-2-3 in that bottom of the fourth, so it's still 3 nothing. Yeah, and on top of the fourth, back to the Howie hit, I think this is at least the third time that we've talked about how he hitting a deep fly ball to center field that falls short at the warning track. And it just seemed like, and we just talked about how we struggled for the most part in the series, but, and every time he got, he made solid contact, it went to center field, but fell short. Obviously a preview of things to come His big grand slam later in the game goes to center field. That's where he was trying to hit the ball. He was trying to push the ball straight up the middle um, and couldn't muster it in these first couple of at-bats throughout the series. Obviously, gets the big one later in the game. And then the bottom of the inning, first clean inning for Strasburg, one, two, three. He's starting to settle in. His pitch count is a little high thanks to that first inning. I think he threw 22 pitches in that first frame. But he finally settles down, gets a clean inning in the bottom of the fourth, no base runners, and puts the uh, Nationals right back at bat. 
and it's a preview of what's to come, I feel like, in World Series Game 6, because that's kind of what he did. Yeah. Um, all right, top of the fifth, Nats get an opportunity. Kurt Suzuki walks. Uh, Michael A. Taylor singles. Strauss tries to bunt and get those guys over. It, he bunts it foul um, on, honestly, a pretty good pitch um, in a full count. Um, so there's an out. And then Trey Turner strikes out um, on a great cutter uh, uh, by Walker Bueller. And then Eaton flies out. So another wasted opportunity and a wasted opportunity because one of those guys was not able to get the inning to Rendon or Soto. And that's something that the broadcast was harping on is they just need to get guys on for those two guys to come up because they had already been productive. They were obviously the two best hitters in the Nats lineup. And they just needed one of those guys, whether it be Trey Turner or Adam Eaton, to get on base there, extend the inning slightly, and get the inning to Rendon or Soto. And we would see, eventually, those guys would not need anybody on base to do their damage. But that's, right. that was the storyline at this point, was it wasted opportunities for the, for the Nats offense. Yeah, and it kind of just tacks on again to the storyline of it's not going to be their night. And uh, obviously, in the grand you know, picture of this frame, this inning, it's a spoiled opportunity. But even Steven Strasburg, at his at-bat, he, he goes up 3 nothing and gets a bad strike one call. It should have been ball four. He should have walked on four pitches to load the bases. And then from there on, it's just not them. I thought it was interesting. You know, we talk about Steven Strasburg is one of the sneaky, sneakily one of the most athletic pitchers that the Nationals have. I thought it was interesting that they didn't have him just swing right there. But I think in the grand scheme of things, or just, you know, in baseball terms, you would probably take him bunting, foul, striking out bunting foul, then hitting into a double play at that point. You know, it's just one out as opposed to a possible two. I get the idea to bunt there. But I thought that was interesting because he is, he's not a bad hitter for a pitcher, so you could have just maybe tried to let him swing there, especially after falling up, or going up, I should say, 3 nothing. but then the bad strike call, he ends up striking out on by bunting foul, so that was a turning point too in that frame as well. Uh, some some calls not going the Nationals' way and just added to the, 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 the narrative of it's not going to be their night. Bottom half of that fifth inning, Strasburg continuing to settle in, another 1-2-3 inning. Top of the sixth, Rendon doubles, so we see the, what could have happened if he had gotten on base or gotten up to the plate with those guys on base. Um, Juan Soto, uh, I know I uh, noted here he's kind of messing with Walker Buehler's timing. I think that's something that they tried to do, and Juan Soto, as we know, would try to do that with just about every pitcher he would face in the playoffs. Um, but he singles, so the Nats uh, now have their first run of the game. It's 3-1. Um, and then Howie Kendrick hits into a double play. So he kills another another rally, and then Ryan Zimmerman strikes out. So another wasted opportunity, even though they do get on the board, um, but it is 3-1 heading into the bottom of the sixth. Yeah, Cowie Kendrick again, just a tough spot, and you know we touched on it now three times already in this podcast about how he struggled throughout the whole NLDS, and now I'm kind of linking him. I, I linked him to Juan Soto in the wildcard game in this game five. Everyone remembers... Well, Kyle Kendrick's grand slam, obviously, and will forever be an historic moment in Nationals history. But he didn't have that great of a game. <laughs> he went one for five with two strikeouts. The one obviously being the grand slam, but made some fielding errors uh, and stuff like that and came up in big spots and couldn't drive him in. So it, it, the one obviously is great, is the biggest hit maybe of his career to that date. Um, but he did not have a strong game five, much like Juan Soto will always be remembered for that basis clearing double in the wild card game. 
But in, in the grand, you know, if that's a normal game in June, no one really remembers it because he had a pretty terrible game for the, for the most part. Yep. Bottom half of that sixth inning, Jack Peterson singles and steals second, but another wasted opportunity, this time for the Dodgers, because Seager K's, Kike K's, and uh, Steven Strasburg's night at this point um, is done after the sixth inning. He gave up three runs, crazy to think, but this might have been his worst uh, postseason start of his career to date up until that point because he just gave up three runs in sixth innings, which, not bad, but given what we've seen, how dominant he has been in the postseason, that might be his his worst postseason start up until that point. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, that's very much... I was, all I was going to say is, like, yeah, that's just right. <laughs> and that's crazy. Like, you know, again, if it's a start in May, that's a solid outing against a yeah. really tough lineup. But uh, on the level of this game that it was, being an elimination game... You, you were kind of hoping for a little more from Strauss, even though he ends up giving you everything he's got. And, you know, yes, he fell down 3 nothing early, but the fact that he held it at 3 nothing, I think, is something that doesn't is talked enough about because we're just talking about how many Dodgers are, waste, are they're wasting so many opportunities. But give credit to Steven Strasburg for not letting them score any more runs. Yeah. And so that's another way to look at it. Even though he does give up the three runs, it is one of his worst postseason starts of his career or outings. He still did a phenomenal job over those later innings in his in his in his outing of keeping the Dodgers off the board from adding any more runs and keeping the Nats in the game. Top half of the seventh, the Nats get what appears to be their best opportunity to get back into this game. Kurt Suzuki uh, gets hit by a pitch, which I remember um, not seeing live when it happened, but I remember in the tunnel um, as we were getting ready for the post game. Celebration. I remember incorrectly hearing that Kurt Suzuki was headed to the hospital at that point because he had gotten hit in the hand and then the head. I don't think he ever was sent to the hospital no. that night. I think he was. He obviously missed some time, but the rumors spread quickly in the tunnels of Dodger Stadium, apparently. Um, so Kurt, Kurt Suzuki gets on. Michael A. Taylor strikes out, but Cabrera pinch, uh, pinch hits for straws. He flies out, but then Trey Turner walks. And then we get Clayton Kershaw, who... Backstory, for those who don't remember, he had put the finishing touches on the uh, Dodgers NLDS win back in 2016 and uh, at Nationals Park had closed out the Nationals, come out of the bullpen, um, and sent the Dodgers to the NLCS. So he the had already... The only save of his career. Yeah, only save of his career, and the Dodgers had already used him in this spot, and it looks like, starting with you know more false narratives, it looks like he's going to be in a similar spot here because he gets uh, Adam Eaton to strike out on three pitches and they get out of it without any damage. Another inning where they can't get the inning to Rendon or Soto and uh, they they come out of that without any runs still down 3-1. It's also kind of crazy to think that the Nationals kind of forced Dave Roberts' hand right here by, by getting runners on and you know we talked about how awesome Walker Bueller was to start the game but we're in the seventh and he's already at 117 pitches. They made him work um, and get that pitch count up and kind of forced Dave Roberts to put in Kershaw in that spot with runners on and facing a lefty. You would think that Kershaw was probably, I mean, it's a winner go home. Everyone's available, but Kershaw might've been saved for later in the inning. I mean, the, I think this Dodgers bullpen was way better than the Dodgers bullpen. We saw, I guess at this point, three years ago in 2016. Um, so he has a little more arms. He can probably afford to act use Kershaw earlier in an earlier spot like this, but you know what? I, I, I don't, I guess as a Nash fan and, and remembering the history, seeing 
Clayton Kershaw at home too, walk out of the bullpen was just a terrifying sight. Like it's like, well, I mean, he's going to, and then the striking out of Eaton on three pitches was like, well, that's, that's gotta be it. I mean, if Kershaw is going to, if Kershaw is going to finish his game on, I think normal rest, cause he started game two. Yeah. Cause so does Rosberg. So the normal rest, it's, it's going to be ball game. Um, if he's feeling it right there and is able to get eaten out so quickly and he's keep his pitch count down and go, you know, a couple innings of relief. And I'm sure Dave Roberts was thinking the same thing because he sends him back out there for the eighth. Yeah. That's where things start to get real interesting for Dave Roberts and the Dodgers. The bottom half of that seventh, Tanner Rainey came in by the way, then Patrick Corbin get it, uh, came in, they go one, two, three. Um, Good alley by Rainey. Yes. Solid, solid underrated outing because what happened in the top of the eighth would overshadow just about everything else. Rendon homers on the second pitch of the at-bat to left field crushes it. It was a low slider, well below the knees. Honestly, not a bad pitch at all. Um, that's just Anthony Rendon being Anthony Rendon. He scooped that thing, man. He I did. mean, it was like a golf swing he got and just sent it out there. It, that was an impressive... He's Like you said, he's Anthony Rendon. He's just a ridiculous hitter. Yeah. I mean, you can put the ball... And that's the other thing, too, is like... We think about the back-to-back home runs off Kershaw, and and Dodgers fans will boo him and trash him forever uh, for doing that. But that, like you said, that wasn't a bad pitch. Rendon just went and got it. It's the next pitch that they should be booing. Uh, you know, he leaves a ball right up the middle for Juan Soto. But that pitch to Rendon wasn't a bad pitch. Rendon just beat him. Yeah. Next pitch, slider. This time, belt high. I mean, yeah. dead center. And. Juan Soto puts it into orbit. I mean, he absolutely demolished that pitch. And all of a sudden, the game is tied. I remember just the entire atmosphere in that ballpark, in the press box, just changing on like that, on a whim. And it, it is ridiculous how quickly that game turned around. Uh, obviously, the Grand Slam still looms, and that's probably it's going to be the biggest hit of this game and this series and maybe that postseason. But... I will never forget the sound of Juan Soto's home run because Anthony Rendon had just homered. So that kind of took some energy out of the ballpark. Dodgers still have a lead, but the very next pitch, it's all you hear is the crack of the bat and Dodger stadium just goes dead silent because no one in the outfield moves. Everyone knows that ball almost leaves the stadium. I mean, we talked about how Max Munchie crushed a ball off straw. Uh, no doodle in game two. Juan Soto bests him right here and sends what well, you said to orbit. I mean, it was just absolute moonshot. I will never forget that sound sitting in the press box. I, Cause I think I heard it before I saw it. Cause I wasn't looking at the field. Cause I think I was still getting ready yeah. or helping our former social media manager, Olivia Wither, right to get social media stuff out for the Rendon Homer. And it's the very next pitch. So I will, I will always remember the sound. I don't remember watching it, but the sound just the crack of that bat. Oh my God. He crushed that ball. I think a lot of people missed it. I think a lot of people in the press box missed it because they were still typing <laughs> from right. what had just happened. I mean, that was, it was insane how quickly some, a game like that changed. It was, it was absolutely it was per- electric. Yeah. It was the perfect combination of him barreling that ball and just absolutely blasting it. And then Dodger Stadium going silent at the exact same time. And the reaction of Clayton Kershaw on the mound is iconic. I mean, it's, it is. And then him in the dugout too. It's going to be used. If he does not win a world series with the Dodgers at some point. um, And I know he has had postseason moments over his career, but if he doesn't win that world series, that might be a clip that we see for Forever. forever. I mean, because he, 
his depress he gets down on his knees, can't even has to peek over his shoulder to see that ball go over the fence because he knew it was gone. And then to see him coming back from commercial in the dugout, nobody even close to him, staring in, in into space in what must be one of the lowest points of his career. I mean, that was just so many iconic moments within a matter of minutes. It's kind of heart-wrenching because, I mean... It is. <laughs> it is. You feel bad I, for him. I, I, I feel bad for him. And I, I, I've been re-watching these games with my girlfriend here in, uh, in quarantine. And she, she... I don't know how many times she said it, but she kept saying, oh, my God, I feel so bad for him. And I was like, I know. Like, yeah. Clayton Kershaw is one of the most revered, not just baseball players, but athletes and people in all sports. Uh, a future Hall of Famer, no doubter. But you just feel for the guy that he can't get that, you know, and that th- that was the year, you know, they had just gone back to back world series, heartbreaking loss in 2017 to the Astros at home. They lost to the Red Sox in five at home again, uh, the previous year. All right. Year three is a year. Clayton finally gets his ring and to go out like that, man. I mean, it's just, it's tough to watch. I mean, I know nationals fans enjoy watching it, but if you're a fan of baseball or a Dodgers fan or just a fan of Clayton Kershaw, like you said, it's an iconic moment, and it's sometimes it's hard to watch. Yeah. And if he never gets that ring, I, that's going to be a clip that you're going to see on Sports Center. Anytime the national anyone talks about the Nationals postseason run, you're going to see Clayton Kershaw bent over um, and, and just so sad. And Kenta Maeda would come in and strike out the side and be fired up about that. You wonder what would have happened if he had been brought in to start that inning. Um, and and Dave Roberts had just given Clayton Kershaw one batter. And uh, instead, I mean, it, it, the, his decision to keep him in not just changed the game, but look, if, if Kenta Maeda comes in and he gives up the lead, it's still, you know, it, it's at least Clayton Kershaw escapes without a black mark on his resume. You know, the game might right. be changed, but um, the fact that he kept him in and the fact that it was Clayton Kershaw, no, Hall of Famer, no doubt, that gave up the lead like that. Um, and it's a tale of three pitches because he strikes yeah. out. Anthony, yes. uh, sorry, Adam Eaton on three pitches that inning prior, and then only three pitches in this bottom frame, and it's a tie game. Yeah, six. He came in through six pitches. Six pitches, and it's it's a tie game, and everyone's going to remember him for blowing that lead on six pitches, which is crazy. And it, half it of is. those pitches were a strikeout. Yeah. <laughs> so then, bottom half of the uh, eighth inning, uh, Patrick Corbin comes in, or he stays in rather. He had come in in the previous inning, uh, gets the first out, then hits Justin Turner. Um, I, I noted here that the organist at Dodger Stadium was playing a lot of Star Wars music at this point, um, inc- yeah. including some from the new trilogy. They had a little bit of Force Awakens in there, which I was impressed by. Um, but Cody Bellinger comes in, strikes out looking ridiculous, and then David Freeze strikes out. So Patrick Corbin, I remember we talked to him in the, in the clubhouse after this game because... Yeah. You know, as as the longer that time goes on, people forget more and more details about a game. They're going to forget the fact, you know, eventually what people will think of now are obviously those three homers, Howie Kendrick, Juan Soto, and uh, Anthony Rendon. But they shouldn't forget about the job that Patrick Corbin did. And that was a, a preview of what to co- what was to come in terms of him coming out of the bullpen and doing well. Because he had just come out of the bullpen a couple games prior and gotten hit around. But now he comes out of the bullpen, he's focused, he's much better in much more command of his slider, does very well, and that's a preview of what we'll see in the World Series and even in the NLCS. Yeah, and it's he's honestly the first redemption story that we see in this Nationals postseason run. We'll get to Howie Kendrick, obviously, um, but 
you know, he, he got lit up early in game one of this series in Dodger stadium. He got lit up in game three, the Dodgers beginning back at nationals park out of the bullpen. And he finally comes in and shuts the door. And yeah, I, I mean, and all the craziness that happens that eventually happens this game, you know, the nationals obviously finally advancing to the NLCS is the main story. But then in the clubhouse, there's Howie Kendrick talk. There's people wanting to talk to Juan Soto for the home run, Anthony Rendon for the home run, Steven Strasburg star, Max Scherzer, uh, finally getting to the NLCS, him being in the bullpen. No one was talking to Patrick Corbin. I remember you and I were like, we didn't talk to Corbin because without Corbin, they didn't win this game. He came in in a tough spot and shook off some demons earlier from, from earlier in the series uh, to keep the nationals, in a tie game in order for him to win. And then in the bottom or top half of the ninth, rather uh, Joe Kelly comes in and again, another false storyline because Joe Kelly shuts down the nets goes, it's a one, two, three inning on 10 pitches. And if Dave Roberts had given him an early hook, the story on Joe Kelly might be a totally different story because they, he yep. might be, you know, he would escape blame and not be a scapegoat for this game. All right, bottom yep. half of the ninth, tie game, 3-3. Hudson comes in. Seager strikes out. Kike Hernandez singles. And then Will Smith, we were sh- certain, ended that game with a long fly ball to right. He thought he ended it. The Dodgers dugout thought they ended it. Uh, I was down in the in the tunnels of Dodger Stadium, and I just remember hearing an explosion from the field of people getting excited. I couldn't even see the game on TV from where I was. Yeah. Um, and I thought the game was over. I mean, I, th- I thought that was it. Um, and literally half the Dodgers dugout jumped out of the, the dugout and were ready to storm the field, and it's caught on the warning track. Yep, and uh, Will Smith does that bat flip too. And yep. that's that's I always think of that because... Obviously, we weren't watching the broadcast, um, but that was a replay that they showed a lot after this game. And and even during the broadcast, they kept going and showing him because he, he totally thought he won it. And I, off the bat, I thought he won it, too, because I, yeah. I, you know, let out a curse word and was like, that, that's it. You know, that's that is out of here. And the other thing, too, because, again, we didn't watch the broadcast first. But how many times did this broadcast team mention the fact that the Dodgers led the national league and walk off, run, walk off wins like 22 walk off wins or something like that it was crazy. And here you go. Here's another one, you know, just add to the sort it's like they were previewing it. They're anticipating it coming and a game five crushing that ball. And it just dies. Um, and you know, back to the earlier innings that that's the tide kind of seemed to shift and let's get, you know what? It actually might be the nationals night and go into their favor as opposed to the Dodgers. I mean, that that moment was just insane. Hey, can you imagine if that ball had gotten out? That would have been talk about all, of all the deflating NLDS losses the Nats have had. Uh, that would might have been the most deflating, honestly. Oh yeah, because the biggest glimmer. Because you would have seen because you saw the Nats come back uh, in tremendous fashion, get to Clayton Kershaw, and then they would lose it in the bottom of the ninth. But it wasn't to be because they would go yeah. to the tenth inning. Um, and in the top half of the 10th, Joe Kelly still out there for unknown reasons, even though they have Kenley Jansen and Adam Kolarik warming in the bullpen. Neither of them get into the game uh, until the damage is done because Joe Kelly's back out there. He walks out of Eaton on uh, pitches that were not particularly close. Um, then Rendon doubles. The ball again gets stuck in the wall, weirdly enough. Uh, and uh, they walk Juan Soto. So now they have 
the bases juiced, and Howie Kendrick comes up, Joe Kelly still pitching, and Kendrick takes him deep, a very similar spot to where he went earlier. This time it's over the fence, though. Yeah, watching the broadcast for the first time, Jeff Francoeur kind of calls it again. I feel like I feel like I said something earlier in one of our earlier podcasts for the series about, or maybe it was the Walker game, where he, he kind of anticipates what's going to happen. At the top of the inning, he's like, you know what? If Adam Eaton gets on base, I think the Nats have something going here. And sure enough, he draws the walk, gets on, Rendon doubles. Um, uh, and and uh, back to the walk, you know, you, like you mentioned, those last three pitches weren't even close to Adam Eaton. And that should have been the first sign that Robert should have gotten Kelly out of the game. You know, you can't take risks or chances in that situation. If he's off in any way, you need to yank him. Like you said, you have Gailey Jansen, Adam Kolarik in your bullpen. Anybody else, just get him in there. Joe Kelly has done his job. Get somebody else out there to face this heart of the Nationals lineup. Um, because he just doesn't have it. And, you know, it's 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 sad and kind of crazy to think that Joe Kelly is the one to eliminate the Dodgers in back-to-back postseasons, both as an opponent and as a member of the team. So, uh, yeah, and that gets the whole ball rolling. You, Rendon's huge double. And that's the thing, too. It being a double allows Babe Roberts to intentionally walk Juan Soto to yep. get to Howie Kendrick. And it's crazy thinking about that. It's like, why would you, you know, Again, we think about the Grand Slam all the time. So like, why would you load the bases for Howie Kendrick? But up to that point, Howie had a terrible series. So you would think, oh, this is easily going to be a fly ball or or uh, a double play ball, something like that. And that's not the case. And it, it, it that Rendon double was critical to getting Juan Soto on base and then yep. uh, allowing Howie Kendrick to step up to the plate. Because, yeah, exactly. Because most likely Adam Kalerik would have come in. Uh, if right. it were just a single, if it were runners on first and second or first and third, Calera comes in and there's a pretty good chance that he gets Juan Soto based on the evidence that we had seen previously in the series. Um, right. So maybe it would have been entirely different. But look, I mean, honestly, hindsight is twenty twenty. but he probably should have brought in Kenley Jansen to, just to start the inning. Um, yep. And maybe even after he saw uh, Adam Eaton walk like that. Um, yeah. But... Oh, well, uh, because Howie Kendrick hits a grand slam, and yeah. uh, I, I was again in the tunnel. I don't know exactly. Were you in the press box at this point, Bobby? Yeah, I was. I was standing in the back of the press box. Um, no, was I? Actually, I might have been. Yeah, I think I, I – once the bases were loaded, I think I walked out because we were sitting in the back kitchen area for the most of the game. Yeah. I think I walked out to, like, the outside press box to watch once the bases were loaded. And off the bat – I don't know because they show the replay. Howie Kendrick knows it right off the bat, and I, I guess he can feel it. You know, he's the one swinging. Obviously, I didn't think it was going to go. I thought that was a deep fly ball to the warning track, but it, it just kept carrying. Bellinger thought he was going to have a play on the ball. He ran all the way back to the fence and then stopped because he's like, "Oh my god, it's going to go!" And it just kept carrying and carrying. I think I remember even looking out the center field, watching Bellinger run, and then even the fans, like no one in the fans in the stands, even you know when the home run comes, people will stand up and like attempt to catch it. No one's moving. No one thinks that ball is coming towards them, but then they see it's getting bigger. It's getting, Oh my God, that ball's going to go. And they finally stand up and catch the ball. What a swing. And like I said earlier, he's aiming for the middle uh, center for center field. All his balls had gone that way. And of course it was going to go that way this time and, and score four runs for the nationals. Uh, Paul, I, I also wanted to mention this. We didn't mention this earlier in this, in these episodes, but we should have. Do you remember how loud and actively, that the Dodgers media were rooting for the Dodgers. I do a little bit. It's not the the defining uh, memory I have, but it, I do remember it. 
It's not the Mephani because I guess for me neither because we haven't mentioned it yet. But for those who don't know, obviously there's that you know written unwritten rule that you, there's no cheering in the press box. You know your media members are supposed to while watching a game supposed to be as biased as possible or unbiased as possible, I should say, um, and, and not actively root for teams in the press box. But the Dodgers media had no problem rooting for the uh, every big hit, and that's kind of the other thing that kind of irked me early on in this game when they did, took a three nothing lead. There were people cheering for them and clapping and and saluting the Dodgers. For, and I was like, what is going on here? So me personally, being a Nationals fan, I, I think I do a, do a good job of hiding my emotions while I'm working at the game. But for that moment, considering how the Dodgers media were up until that point, I had no problem kind of giving a fist bump once Howie Kendrick hit that grand slam. Well, I speaking of cheering, I was once again in the tunnel. We were kind of sequestered to a small room in the tunnel, um, and we were watching on TV, the game, but it was about 20 seconds behind. So I heard the reaction from the Nationals clubhouse, which was down a few steps, well before I heard that home run because there were members in that clubhouse that were going ape bleep uh, after this, and you could hear them screaming. And I I thought, and the bases were still loaded on TV. I'm thinking, he hit a grand slam. There's there's only, you know, if, if he hits a sack fly... They're not making that reaction because they seemed overjoyed. Um, Dodger fans already start to leave, which it is a playoff game. I know you don't want to see your team eliminated. It's an excruciating, painful thing, um, and it is honestly traumatizing. But um, they're already leaving because it is a 7-3 game in the top of the ninth, or top of the tenth, with still no outs, and Joe Kelly is still pitching. (laughs) Um, he, you start to hear some fire Roberts chants from the fans, um, on TV, which I did not notice at, during the actual game. Uh, Roberts finally comes in to bring Ken, Kenley Jansen in. They boo Dave Roberts as he's coming to make that pitching change. Um, and I just wrote down a great line by, uh, Ernie Johnson that, uh, Howie Kendrick got the nickname truck and it feels like the Dodgers just got by, just got hit by one. Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. And I remember the booze of, of Dave Roberts. And, you know, I mean, you never want anyone to lose their job or get booed by their own fans or something like that. That's kind of that's that's sad and, and you know, not the nature of sport. But I, I have to be honest, there was some kind of part of me that was thinking back to 2016 and having to sit on Dave Roberts's postgame press conference after the Dodgers just beat the Nationals to go to the NLCS in D.C., and I remember thinking, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I have to sit through this. And now to hear, see him make a crucial mistake like that, um, uh, it was kind of felt like redemption. I'm sure all Nationals fans all over the country and, and back home in D.C. felt the same way. And people in that and the players themselves, you know, this is redemption against the team that we felt like we should have beaten three years ago. Uh, against a manager who was one of the best in the business, who never makes mistakes like this, rarely ever makes mistakes like this, but caught, made huge costly mistakes to keeping Joe Kelly and Clayton Kershaw in the game when they probably shouldn't have been. Um, and, you know, it was just another added piece of redemption for the Nationals. And I remember um, the conversations after that about Dave Roberts potentially being on the chopping block. And, you know, I, I know he made some big mistakes in that game, but... Well, the guy brought it you to two straight World Series, came within one game of winning the first one, um, and then and, and by the way, Dodgers hadn't been to the World Series in decades before that, and then right. you know make some critical errors in this game, but they had just won what almost 110 games during the regular season. So 
you know, I, I'm glad he didn't get fired for that because I think he is a good manager, but boy, did he make some mistakes in this game. Um, all right, bottom of half of the 10th. Yeah. Nats four-run cushion for Sean Doolittle, who did not have the best of postseasons, but it would not matter. Comes on. Max, by the way, mulling about in the bullpen, which I totally forgot. Like, the fact that he was even out there is absurd. Um, I'm sure he went out there. I don't know exactly when he went out there. Um, probably when they went to extras, not when they took a four-run yeah. lead. Um, but the uh, it's, Doolittle makes quick work of the Dodgers in that bottom half of the 10th. Michael A. Taylor, an amazing sliding grab to end the game. Uh, and just just the, the monkey off the back for the Nationals. And, and you see it in the sheer joy that uh, Sean Doolittle has on Taylor making that catch, just leaping for joy on the mound. And just at this point, it feels like even if they don't win another postseason game, it will have been worth it. Yeah, I think I would agree. I think just getting to the, I mean, I think I said that from the beginning of the that postseason is like, just get to the NLCS and see what happens, you know, just yeah. get over that hump and, and we'll go from there because everything after that is just extra on the side. You know, it's not like we weren't expecting them to win the wild card game of how that game started. We were expecting them to beat the Dodgers who won 106 or 105 games, whatever it was that season. Um, so, but to be able to just to shake that monkey off the back was obviously a huge for this franchise, for this team, for these players, for Davey Martinez himself, um, after everything he went through in 2018, um, back to your max point, I, they do show max in the dugout in the top of the 10th inning. And then once they go ahead by four runs, that's when he sprints, I guess the long way around underneath the other stadium to get to the bullpen and people were freaking out. Oh my God, Max is in the ball. But what if he comes in and pitches? That's just going to add to this drama, this craziness of the game. Um, but yeah, the, the, and I mean, and it, it's just everything went the Nationals way. Like we said from the top of the show, it felt like it wasn't going to, but it worked out. The Dodgers were crazy 59 and 22 at home that season. Uh, they hadn't lost consecutive games since the beginning of September. So almost a whole month had gone by more than a month had gone by since they lost consecutive games. And here they are losing four and five. Um, I, I, the, the, I was standing in the back of the press box for the Michael A. Taylor catch. And he, and in true Michael A. Taylor fashion too, just making a spectacular diving catch and just popping up and being like, you guys looking for this? Did you want this ball? Like no big deal. Just, I think he smiled actually for the first time, which was nice. Yes. Um, and um, I remember everyone, no one saw him make the catch. I guess I was the only one who saw him. But I remember all the Washington Post people who were sitting in front of me, they all turned around and were like, did he catch it? Did he catch it? And I was like, yeah, he caught it. Like, he's right there. It's over. I, I can't believe it's over. And everyone was freaking out in the press box, too, because obviously it was a big story for the Nationals. But, uh, and then, you know, Sean Doolittle jumping seems like 11 feet high, which is awesome. That's a, that's a picture I'll always remember from that series too. And then here comes the champagne and it's, it's time to celebrate. It is. And we had a good time in that clubhouse uh, that felt like we were going to drown in all that champagne because it was a tiny clubhouse and uh, we were really jammed in there. And the amount of champagne and beer on the floor, I felt like it was going to rise above our heads eventually. Um, but it was a, a wild celebration that night, next day, next morning, Hours later, we're hopping on a flight to uh, St. Louis and getting ready for the NLCS. And we will get you ready next week for a rewatch of NLCS Game 1, which was occurred just two days after this game. But you'll have to wait a week to hear our recap of that game. At Bobby underscore Blanco, he is on Twitter. I am at Paul Mancano. Please 
rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Give us give us a, a like, give us a comment, give us a five-star review, whatever you got. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. We hope that you're staying safe, you're staying healthy, you're staying with your family, you're staying home. Uh, and, uh, of course, the Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Marymount University. Visit marymountsaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. We'll see you in a week.